how do we move forward from here? I mean, right now we're talking about identity. So this is identity part two. Yes. Part still two. existential. Still uh, continuing on with the topic of identity. It's it's quite a loaded issue, loaded topic, even for us. And we're still in the midst of figuring out uh, identity. Of course, there's no conclusion to it, but it's good to know and realize where we're at at this point of time with what we know uh, in the past and how do we move about with bringing it forward. Lah. So we were talking about uh, before on on understanding and knowing about the past and uh, citing on such examples such as Majid Negara ending our trip to Padang. But now, I guess with identity, it's always an evolution, a, a continuing thing. Yeah. And we are in, in, in the process of continuing that identity. And then since, since uh, I mean, if you're, if you're in the corporate world, people are looking into, like, trying to find market studies for millennials, you know, and trying to understand Gen X, uh, boomer generation. So in that sense, um, that is also identity. But is that a globalized identity that everyone has been trying to hop on board because people are trying to... Because that's the easiest, because whatever the West pigeonholes as a term, we take it. And then that's what we run with now. In terms of identifying like generation as yeah. like a certain set of like you know, identities to, to understand. Yeah. So... Um, what happened was, uh, I guess, last year, or is it late 2018? I couldn't remember. So while we are researching on identity, there's another uh, section of our uh, of the research topic that our course was carrying on is on millennials. Uh, basically, looking at generational, it's a generational study, lah. Right? I mean, you have boomers, and then you have their Gen X, and then you have your Gen Y, which is also millennials, and then you have your Gen Z, and so on and so forth. I guess at that point in time, because it was related to a particular project, we didn't realize that it's part and parcel of understanding identity, right? Just coming off from a different lens. Instead of going places, uh, going by, you know, understanding design elements, could, it, could we not understand identity from the people, punya perspective? How they live, how they communicate, uh, what sort of things that they consume on a day-to-day -day basis? and ultimately drawing out what sort of values do they uh, carry right, within themselves. So, it, interestingly enough, when in that particular research, this millennials research, we, I mean, the team that was working on it, uh, it was Esther, she, she left, uh, Melissa and Sarah, so they were working on trying to dissect these elements of what makes what sort of values do these millennials carry, right? Um, um, what did you guys find out from the research? What was it? Okay, they yeah. they they can be categorized simply put in a, the way they live and the way they the way they live, lah. Yeah, the way they live. The way they work. They work, not. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the way they live and, and, and the shift in the way yeah. they work as well. But mostly in the way they, in the they, way live, they live, right? So yeah. they have found like a few. Um, Sort of criteria, lah. Durang punya dependency on technology. Um, Durang punya sense of independency. Uh, the fact that they don't mind living in shared spaces. Uh, they accept the idea of co-working. They accept the idea co -living. of communal living. Communal yeah, living. Although, yeah, the term was coined by the West, but this collective spirit, they, they can they can um, live with it. Uh, the fact that they are environmentally conscious. You know, they are, they are much more aware of their surroundings, uh, mm -hmm. the ethics of what goes beyond. I guess it's the same thing like, you know, fashion, blah, 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 blah. Um, but the, the bigger aspect would be that, like, technological consumption. Mm. What do they consume on a day-to-day -day basis? Which, in a way, brings back to the idea that we are not a localised... Uh, yeah, we are not local. Like, we are much more in, in a global world, again, the things that we consume. And then one of the, I think, the quite interesting to, quite a relief to know as well, is the fact that they still hold uh, values of, family values, something that is close to their heart. It's not as quite, as liberal as the West, lah. No, you know, respect to your parents, respect to your elderly, the fact that you have to care for them. They are, that those, those values are still very much intact. 
So it's like it's, as much as you know they like the idea of you know co-living, communal living, they still hold the value and the aspect of um, um, of the respect to your parents and the the, the family living value is 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 still quite strong in a, in the in the southeast region. I think yeah. I think it goes back to. I think at that point, because we studied about uh, aspects such as belief, mm. such as uh, language, technology, environment, mm. I think one of the aspects that still permeates until now is belief. Like, yes. In terms of, there is still a strong belief system, even within like millennials, even going through Gen Z, I think, mm-hmm. of, of that same, uh, maybe family-oriented, uh, family-oriented, kind of tendency, kind of tendency, and other such values lah, that we hold. We we still, the majority of us still have a religion of some sort. Uh, and we still believe in, uh, like people believe in various things, mm. in, in re, uh, religious, religion-wise. Lah. But also, we're very much uh, in tune with our past, I think. I mean, subconsciously. I mean, I don't think people actually know that this is like they've inherited something from the past, but I think that's a threat that is continuing forward. Okay. In terms of relating it to millennials, uh, of course, the way we live has shifted because man, naturally the the environment changes uh, According to globally, what is the main you know what is the main driver of economy, of material technology? So we've changed in the aspect. But it's nice to know that from the research that some aspects of our identity or locality is still being kept, uh, kept within within ourselves. Within ourselves, yeah. Uh, even without us knowing, Manito. Mm. Actually, I think yeah. I think we might differ a bit on that in, as opposed to the West, lah. Mm. And I think that goes with our sort of our. With how our upbringing are, we we, you know, we were brought up in um, with such diverse culture and such diverse um, heritage and uh, beliefs, and I think that very much has embedded within us on how we understand, you know, with our with people's different culture and people with different belief, and I think that goes a long way of you know, that has been with us for for a long time, lah. Mm. I guess one one of the uh, parameter uh, that the the team used to establish when or who are these millennials is basically the time frame, right? So I guess the interesting uh, part of it is that it's basically we are categorizing them, these millennials generation, uh, those for as of, as for those who were born in nineteen eighty six to two thousand four, and one of the reason being why 1986 is because this is when the digital revolution began. So hence the technology would, you know, uh, evolve like throughout the years up until 2004. It's interesting to know the context uh, because that would explain about what is happening beyond uh, in the Malaysian context, right? I mean, previously we talked about nation building and now we're talking about digital revolution and it's very much related to how we live our lives like, as millennials. The, the, being the digital natives we are, the social media and all those sort of thing. From a from a relevancy point of view, I think this research is important to an, a practice like GDP, is because it gives context to how the big environment can adapt and evolve to towards what type of typology can emerge, what type of trends that would affect the big environment per se. I think that's why. Uh, Topics like this are uh, looked into, lah, especially like going in up the, after millennials. There's Gen Z. There's a whole set of other generations coming out. Beta, Alpha. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but it's you know the 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 I guess the insights would be into seeing how they live and how would that impact the way that the big environment would change. Yeah, the human behaviour and the yes. built environment. Because mm. that's the only way to go about with it. I mean, we discussed, like recently we discussed, yeah. like in terms of Gen Z, we know that they want to 
they want to own less things. I mean, they don't want to be trapped into mortgage. They don't want to buy a car. But obviously, they would want to own something else, just in a different form. I mean, we know that they're heavily into crypto uh, and, and like uh, other forms of decentralized currency. But in terms of living, how would, how would they live in the future if they don't want to own a house? So that would, that would make developers uh, alter, alternately shift their moods like, into how they sell property. So it's not about a singular type of property for them. Mm-hmm. It might be you buying a property but you have access to all the same properties at the same time. At the same time, as a, like throughout Malaysia. And I think it relates to back into you know in terms of how they work as well. I don't think they would be working in an office nine to six anymore. Um, it's very much about you know um, how, how do you say it? You nomadic. No, no. It's 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 a nomadic type of working, right? So if you if they if they don't want to own a house, you know that that there's some some sort of way a system that allows them to shift around um, easily. That 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 relates back to the way of how they work as well. So it goes hand in hand on how they work and how um, the way they live, right? Yeah, because all those things affect like uh, purchasing. Uh, habits, consumer habits, uh, living and work, obviously. Those things uh, would affect we design our buildings. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the, on the, we, we, we might see it as a, as a, as a non, non-essential aspect, like habits, but they do form the larger built environment collectively, yeah. like even small things. So I think that's why research like this is important. I mean, if you see it, uh, currently, pun, macam developers are also looking into millennials. Or like, there's been a lot of market study on millennials. But it's important to find our own angle in approaching this topic. Especially for a firm, especially for an architecture practice, because then we are able to angle and find uh, our, our narrative to it instead of having to rely on someone else's research and then someone else's narrative that we merely adopt. Yeah. yeah. I think it comes down to understanding that you are not designing the building, you are designing for the human that will inhabit the building in whatever way that they are. Human lifestyle. Yeah, the, the lifestyle, the way they, they operate within that building and mm. to understand that with all this technological advancement, the things that, the, the changing is rapidly changing, the way we work, the way we live, uh, whether you need a space at the end of the day, you, you do, but what kind of spaces, this kind of aspect. Less about the building, but more about the human, understanding the human behaviour and the future behaviours that they will somewhat carry. Because we're seeing at this time, I mean, we're going through a pretty tough COVID time, right? Yeah. And we're seeing the environment heavily affected. But I think it's because we've been building us unsustainably yeah. all this while. We've been building for the sake of building. Yes. But and then... The values of upcoming generations are different. They value sustainability. Yeah. They value things that would impact maybe the earth in the long run. Yeah. How they can be a part of their solution yeah. instead of contributing more towards the problem, right? Yeah. So in that sense, and I these mean... These are very conscious generations. Yeah, they, we're, we're going to a more conscious type of generation where their values are more uh, voiced out. So how, how does the big environment, you know respond to this. Yeah. It cannot be this the same way of building, yeah. of developing yeah. in an unsustainable manner. Yeah. Whereas maybe the Gen Z just wants to go back to like renting, renting warehouses, yeah. you know, like yeah. co-living, yeah. repurposing, readaptive using yeah. certain buildings. And so how do developers uh, shift back to, to, to aligning with these values? Yeah. That's a very important question now because yes. or else at the rate that we're going, the industry is going to collapse True. if we're not thinking about how, how to align with the future generation's values and also to rethink how we build. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're still stuck at this moment because of that. Yeah. People want to build incessantly just for the sake of building because everyone needs a project. But at the same time, 
there's a lot of unused buildings. Yeah. There's a lot of unrented buildings. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a like a bulk of unsold property. And I don't know. There there is there has to be a solution for that. So the way we practice has to evolve. The way we practice definitely has to evolve. Yeah, looking at understanding things in a more holistic way. We are not, you know, accepting a brief and designing it and then building it and CCC it anymore. I guess it's a different way of operating. I guess that that information is good for us because designers are giving more input to respond. Whereas before, maybe architects or designers relied on only the brief required by the client. And that brief is normally straightforward. Yeah. It's essentially, you know, a condominium yeah. with how many rooms of how many square footage, yeah. a certain plot ratio yeah. on a certain land, how many car parks. But maybe the information we're giving them might change the parameters of how they design. And it's something that maybe the client has not realized. True. True. We're opening up the, the eyes of the clients as well in seeing, is this the right way to build? The more Taking in the more proactive uh, measures la, in the way we operate, right? Like engaging in a more... Asking the hard question as well. Asking the hard questions as well. Like, if this, if this is the direction or the solution we are going to, is it necessary first? Yeah. And if so, how can we do it better in a way that it can kill two birds with one stone, for example? Yeah. It can hit other, other major... Uh, values lah, sustainability ke, maybe macam aligning with market goals as well, you know, how un- how many units they want to sell, obviously. So I think it's important that these research somehow feeds back to the industry. Yes, definitely. Or else we're, we're, we're going to see the same trajectory in how we build. Yeah. And I think that that has got to change lah. I guess the understanding, coming back to that word, identity, Understanding identity is a lot more than what we normally think of it as in terms of its application to project as well. It's, not, it's no longer about this pattern in Kelantan or this pattern in blah, blah, blah. It is about the human behaviour because they are, these are all forms of identities right, that yes. we are living with. So taking it, understanding it from the human-centric approach, understanding their behaviour, future behaviours and how what, uh, how the way that we design, how the things that we design will, will cater to that. Because that's the, the, next, the, the responsibility of an architect as well. Correct, correct. And I think, I mean, ultimately, when researching about identity, it's just about knowing. True. I mean, at, at the end, we realise that you have to know these things. Yeah? You just have to know whether you actually take into account and use it in your future projects or in applying it, it's up to you really. But if you don't know, then you really can't make the, the right decisions mm, without you knowing. Then you're just maybe, you're just accepting the current grand narrative that has been laid out for you and you're accepting that. I mean, in knowing, it, it actually changes the way you react and the way you respond to things. Definitely. I guess the first few years, if we sum it up, could be about, you know, we're trying to know things, yeah. trying to make sense of... Things that we didn't know. We didn't know yeah. before. As, as a research arm, as a company, and now these things that... These things that we're aware of now are being used to evaluate current scenarios. Yeah. Because we are better equipped. Lah. Yeah. At, at dealing with uh, maybe the contemporary scenario of society. Yeah, you can put it into equation. La, like this yes, correct, what, correct. correct. It's like no, it's not about uh, knowing what to fill in the variable yeah. in an equation. Yeah, yeah. That's, so that's, that's exactly we know the X now. True. As opposed to not knowing what to fill in the X. And the Ys and the, and, and, the, and, the, Ys and the Zs. Yeah. So I think that is a part of knowing the equation. La. True. I guess it will be much. Uh, it will be a great thing if this sort of thing had would have been introduced early on in our architectural training. Yeah, since university. True. True. Like I mean, we came. Is a is a quite a privileged research topic to be to be on. Yeah, to be on. Uh, 
but it's such it holds such importance to know, uh, especially if you're gonna be part of the industry later on. I think, I think it's because, yeah, like architecture training, they have a history of architecture, right? Mm. They have that, but it's more of a timeline sort of research. Yeah, I mean timeline sort of education, lah. Yeah. Where there's certain slots of time, where it's been frozen into certain artifacts yeah. in time yeah. of monuments yeah. of things. Of objects, hence the romanticizing, hence the romanticizing aspect of identity of history, and I think the the syllabus has never actually highlighted how to bring those things forward yeah. in a holistic manner, yeah. and not merely taking things as as it looks like yeah. in form, in texture, in yeah. color, yes. in function, but also its values. We've never talked about the values of it. True. We've always talked about what it looks like. It's easy to look at things in the quantified manner. Quantified manner, yeah. of course, in terms of oh, bumbong like this, yeah. you shape know, journey. shape like this, Berat raised on stilts, yeah. technology, uh, tanggam. Why is that so? Uh, why can't we talk about values that are a bit more, you know, intangible in some ways? Do we fear talking about all these things because of fear of I don't know uh, whether you are you are falling on the wrong side, or whether there is a wrong and right side to begin with? Because it's right. just values, can it's your perceptions over things. Mm. That will shape a lot on our identity, juga. What right. we, how we perceive things, right? How we perceive things. Yeah. I think, I think not knowing the values earlier on mm. changed, like affected a lot, lah, for us. I mean, if we knew the values earlier on, yeah. then maybe we could. The way we react. Would be the way we react to it would be different, and then the way people responded to design would be different. I mean, for example, in Japan, maybe mm. we, we were discussing about it, like you know, Japan has this embedded identity within them. Yeah. And, you know, everything like wabi-sabi, mm. they have all these terms which which can't be exactly translated into English True. because there's no word which sums up that word in Japanese. Yeah. Like wabi-sabi. There's nothing in it in English. Yeah. There's no exact word that can be traced to that True. word. True. So, so, in a sense, their language of understanding that has translated to the current where that thing has manifested into the way they design objects, buildings, furniture. So they're living their life. Living their life in that same yeah. manner. So we've never had those values macam persisted, persisted throughout the time. Yeah. That we're, we're always about artifacts. True. And then bringing artifacts, macam transposing artifacts from a certain time to this time. Enlarge it, scale it down. Enlarge it, uh, enlarge, scale it down. But it's, it's about transposing yeah. things from a certain time to this time. True. Always taking it out of the context of that time. Tapi not really saying about the values of that thing. Because values can be without time. Yeah. yeah. That's the, I think that's something that we overlook. Right? It's interesting that you touch on language, like wabi-sabi, the terms that you hmm. can't translate Betul? into English. Because I feel, I mean, I, I, I truly love language and I, I do believe a large part of it has to do with the way we consume or the way we understand language. Right. Because if you look at one is the, the Japanese and then you got the Indonesians, right? Their bahasa is very much more richer and they apply it on a day-to-day basis. Um, while we, <laughs> on the other hand, slightly different lah. We, we roja a bit, but there's no usage very active usage of our language that is very much democratized throughout all uh, of races and all that. And I guess that the idea the punya repercussions there and the things that we design uh, or how we understand design. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's true that, I mean, it's a bit sad that in terms of language, in terms of language, we, we've translated a lot of our words into English and we use that word. Whereas, like, there are some words within the Malay language that that doesn't have an equivalent word of it in English, but we translate it into anyway. I think that's a sad aspect. Lah. And we're also translating a lot from English to Malay. Yeah. So that's really muddled up what we, how we talk, how we describe things. 
Remember the, the book Spirit of Food, the one we we, yeah. I mean, we constantly refer on that book because I guess that's the only book that has a design element to it and also the narration that is very rich in, in it. And there's a lot of Malay terms in it. I mean, as ourselves, we don't know how does it mean in a, in a design uh, perspective. Hmm. And there's no equivalent of that word per se in English. Yes. Yeah. And it's good that I think we have to realise that some words in Malay, in the Malay language, cannot be translated. True. It should not be translated. Like, you cannot, you cannot, like, la, like, awan larat. Yeah. You know the concept of awan larat? Cloud. It's, uh, it essentially means... Uh, Mandarin clouds. Yeah. yeah. It actually means, like, a bunch of clouds, like... But not really. But it's, yeah. it, but it doesn't mean that. Yeah. Man, so, yeah. so, because these things, these language, these words affect our worldview. And because we're we're reducing our understanding of that our worldview shrink shrink shrinkage. Yeah. So and it then simplified language. It's simplified and it, in it, and that forces our thinking and the way we design to change True. to accommodate a smaller worldview. For example, our Lara is a form of carvings. Yes, we correct. Have a self principles, mm. something came from the Punche, one point origin, right? And then you sort of balance it out symmetrically. Mm. Left side, right side, up and down. The carving itself, you can sense the idea, they put your own poetic language to it, the subtleness of it. Uh, whereas, you know, carving by hand, right? Whereas a carving in a, by a 3D laser cutter would be slightly different, slightly yeah, flat. Yeah. Like. There is the, you know, the, the repercussions there, visually as well. So, yeah, understanding that there are terms that you can't translate just because. Of, yeah. True. I wonder whether those things. I mean, I never encountered Awan Larat back in my student days. If I remember correctly, no. I mean, me, I. Personally, I've never been that into Malay identity or or the national identity when I was a student because, because as we said, there's no there there was no relevant bridge to consume it for our generation. I mean, of course, you have. Things more nicer like SML Excel to refer to, course, yeah. as opposed to <laughs> you know some some random journal in the library about national Malay yeah. identity. You know it's a some different cover. Yeah, uh, like <laughs> like really old red hard book cover that's dusty. So we've never really had an interface for that sort of topic True. that could be of interest to us. True. Yeah, understanding why we should learn it in the first place. Mm. Maybe it doesn't need to be. I mean. Maybe it doesn't need to be why. Maybe now it's just about catching your attention mm. to to reveal the information. Mm. Snippets. Snippets. Mm. I don't think that people need to know the why per se, but people just need to be exposed to it. Mm. As much so as much as you, you go through Instagram, you see much like, oh, are the craze. Why is this craze like this? And if there were more things exposed to us of that manner then our awareness would increase. Yeah. No, I, I still, I think the why is coming from that direction. Like why is Awan Lara in such a way? Why is yeah. Kuris in such a way? Um, I still think that you need to know why is it designed such a way because that would reveal a lot about how do they, do the people think back then? Oh, yeah. And how does that has changed throughout the years coming to our generation and now what do we think mm. of something? How do we think of something? Um, yeah, not not to be nostalgic, but just to know lah, mm. and therefore you can reiterate it in your own perspective. This mm. current reality, contemporarize it. I think there was uh, recently again there was this viral post of uh, you know one of the I think the the, the new Istana Negara. Ah yes. Someone was like doing like an so ornamentation carving, yeah. but out of CNC. Yeah. And like people were like, oh, this is blasphemy, whatever. Yeah. But to me personally. I took it as, oh, okay lah, it makes sense. He's using latest technology, what? But the flat. <laughs> the flat, of course. But itulah dia. Macam, yeah, macam we just need to push that, okay, yeah. macam you want to use carving. You could do it in a similar manner. You use CNC to get that depth. Because carving is not flat. It's, there's a depth to it. and yeah. There's like curved, yeah. there's profiles. Yeah. And. Yeah. So I think, how because no one's been actually pushing of, of bridging that thing yes. to using current technology, CNC, yeah. much additive manufacturing, 3D printing, 
these things need to be brought forward to current punya methods. Yeah. Like all the covers are dying, right? True, true. And the knowledge is knowledge translation is lacking. The knowledge the of it is also dying. We have all these master covers who are who have like apprentices like one, two. Yeah, but never documented. Ah, uh, rarely documented. So how how do we? Because everything is digitized now, can't we get those information somehow digitize it yeah. and scale it yeah. so that everyone can learn, everyone can know or get the the like it'll be good if like someone can download a file of of siapa tu? Open resource. Of siapa punya carving. Yeah. Yeah. You can you can download a three D file right? of yeah. his carving into your computer. You can print out the exact carving, yeah. or you can see and see out on wood the exact millimeter to millimeter inch to inch punya dimension on a CNC machine on wood yeah. that should be the aim now that, that should be where we progress actually we should push it forward a bit like okay if we go to reassess our own uh, research punya yeah. application lah in terms of the patterns that we have developing over the years it's never about okay fine ada lah some yang kita ambil bulat-bulat and then kita try to reinterpret it based on the materiality and so on and so on and so forth but I guess the 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 good thing about that is that we allow room to interpret it differently. One is, yeah, materiality, the application of it. I guess when you put uh, scale, uh, where it is being applied for, why is it, you know, whether it acts as a window or it acts just like a facade. I guess understanding those parameters line to open up a bit. It doesn't mean like you can like the carvings that they have done in the past. It is like that. The value is in there. You don't have to imitate it. You just have to understand why and then reiterate lah, from your designer's perspective. Right? I guess that's where the value is you got to in terms of making it progressive. Mm. I think one of the other things I realised that like in, in terms of like traditional techniques, lah, for example, carving. And, mm. I think there's a, there's a disdain for mass manufacturing. Mm. Like it cannot go together. Mm. Like if you do carving, you cannot do it mass manufactured mm. because it's blasphemy lah. Mm. But, but I think it's logical to go in the direction of mass manufacturing to yeah. adopt techniques in mass manufacturing yeah. because the world is at that. Yeah. The world is at that stage where everything is mass manufactured but can't you somehow bring these skills to a mass manufacturing level? Yeah. I don't know why it cannot like really. I guess but kita never move forward kot with what does carving mean to us? I mean, back then, it was meant for people who have money. Lah, right? You oh, have betul, carvings, betul. you have ornamentations, therefore you have money. Lah. Betul, betul. You can pay these artisans to make you... Yeah, not everyone could afford good carvings. It's a privilege. Right, right. But right now, in this context, is it a privilege still? Hmm. Well, it has to be mass-produced. It has to be mass-produced. Why can't it be mass-produced, right? I guess understanding the context could. And then, therefore, the evolution of things. Lah. Understand why carving was done in such a way, applied in little number, mm. big number, and then whether it's still relevant to apply it in such a way. It's mm. yes. Technological advancement, technological input, la, input. we have to, yeah, la, like you said, la, it has to be at par, la, parallel, la, parallel growth with what, all this artisanal. Mm, interesting, interesting. So it will, it's such a privileged thing, kan? Ada pintu gerbang yeah, besar yeah, yeah. depan istana. Yeah, now that you pick it up, but Betul lah. I mean, it's, a, it's sort of an elitist thing to have lah. It's like an artwork lah. Yeah. Yeah, macam yeah. Not, not everyone can afford intricate carvings on, on their house, right? Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's for a privileged few lah yeah. that can afford it, that's true. Tapi sekarang, yeah, should that still be the, the way we understand it, kan? Betul? We can democratize it, why not? Hmm. In the same way, we have to document it, we have to pass it down and we have to reiterate it lah. In a way, if you if you think about talking about these things, it's still quite elitist. In a way that, macam we still refer to carving as like it's 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 for the domain of a select few yes. who research it, or who who apprentice for it. Yes. So in a sense, it's quite, it's quite how you say, eh? it's not democratic lah. It's not widely available to people or. I'm not sure if it has been withheld in terms of the information or, it, or is there mm. because it, there's no interest in it. Interest. Uh, so I'm not sure what that... You see, interest, people are only interested in things that are 
like you said earlier, contemporary in such a way. Again, kalau benda ni macam like I don't see it applicable in current day and age. Though. Why are they? But I see much currently. You see, like I think there's a there's a resurgence of that with product designers. Mm. You know, the term artisans pun dah came about. Artisans, yeah, artisan of it's, it's resurf- resurfacing, and and then people are trying to link that that history, that heritage back to contemporary punya design lah. Macam you have people designing like things related to our past using, you know, whatever methods that war that was, but bringing it to a more to more elevated uh, condition. Can we touch a bit on how we understood how we understand artisans as also the one who are actually doing it? Can they take the I mean the role of contractor dulu is also the one who are design designing? Yes, lah, correct. Can? I mean we 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 did explore a bit mm. of this, right? The punya growth lah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, but that's quite important. The designer knows how to apply or how to build yeah, such correct. materiality. Correct. Hi, right now we have a guest with us. We have Sarah with us. So we're going to ask Sarah what she thinks of identity. I mean, or, or, I mean more specifically, in a general sense, what, what do you feel about Malaysian identity and how, how, can, you, how can you relate with it uh, with it? currently or in, in a contemporary sense? Huh? Hmm. Well, for me, I think, like, personally, I think I've always, I, you know, struggled with identifying myself within this context mm. because of the specificity of, of my up, upbringing. Mm, mm. And, um, you know, uh, sometimes it's weird because, like, going overseas actually felt more like a sense of belonging than actually being here. Understand. And I think it's, <laughs> and I think it's it's probably um, I don't think that, uh, lack of openness is, is is not it. I think within you know our multicultural society and all of that, there is a specificity to that, and there is a kind of context that comes with that that is actually more local than it is actually open. You know, like um, we we think that. Uh, we always promote, like, in our whatever, you know, documentary there is of KL or Malaysia that, oh, you know, we have all these races, we have all these people that get along, and, and this is what makes our country amazing. And, it, and, you know, the diversity that comes with that. But I think, you know, if you even if you cut through all three, uh, you know, all three dominant races, mm. there is a Malaysianism that's there, which is very specific. True. You know? True. And... You know, for someone who doesn't know about mama culture and, mm. and which, you know, and all of that, uh, it's, it's, and I think that's an, a missed opportunity because sometimes I think like people just want to celebrate the specificity of the three races and how that's those true. three bring, what they bring to But it's it. actually highlighting the things in between those major yeah. races, right? Yeah, it's that the cross be, That section. makes you Malaysian, actually, yes. the in-betweenness yeah. of cultures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. True, true. So, um, and I think I, uh, from experience, I, only I could identify with that, that because I could not identify in that sort of, that, that cross. The major tropes. La. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. Exactly. I understand. So, um, I mean, that's, that's more in like a, a sort of more general day-to-day, just, mm. just being kind of sense. Um, but I think uh, that, that is the core of, of everything that we decide to do in life. So if you're, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, more specific things like design mm, mm. or you know just uh, how we approach, you know, our day to day affects us, right? So um, once we, and I think that's why you know, like a, a, a sort of like kind of keyword is context these days, and but I think to get into like the deeper meaning of what context is we actually really question what context is mm, you know mm, good point. i think people are uh, are like oh just very you know quick to go like oh i know what context is context is this is this but really what we should be questioning that more mm. like what is that context you know? what yeah. is that context yeah you know yeah, we, we talk a bit about political boundaries like basically okay. context in it sense of area, right? Yeah. Mm. People in power, blah, 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 and therefore the state, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, in fact, we are a bit of a melting pot 
Right? Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. consume a lot of stuff, especially now mm-hmm. in the digital age. We yeah. consume a lot of stuff globally. Yeah. And yeah. that's a larger context to, to deal yeah. with, right? To understand. Yeah. But I think even the um the global sort of context is digested with a very local kind of context. We don't necessarily there's a there's always a kind of point and check system of what we consume and what we decide to consume. Mm-hmm. I think. Who who decides that? We decide that? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Like, I, di- I mean, uh, uh, admittedly, there are things that like, say, like, bubble tea or whatever, mm. which are... Um, but I think uh, things like that are, are easier to kind of permeate into our society because it's food. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something accessible. It's something... But if you were to say things like bigger concepts, like, you know, uh, what's happening right now with, like, U.S. politics and stuff like that, you know, the adaptation and, you know, if you, learn to, if you listen to BFM, you, you, tell, you hear them kind of compare politics and stuff like that. Mm. It's not a... It's not... It's, it's not an, an easy thing to think about. It, it, you know, I, I think we... Yeah. There's a lot of layers to it. Right? Yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, when we, when we think about, like, uh, like Mal- Malaysianisms, I think uh, whatever we decide to digest and to filter through the, the, you know, the big thing, which is the World Wide Web and social media and all the stuff that is out there, I, I, I still think that we kind of filter it through ourselves, through the lens that is being Malaysian before we actually um, consume it. Huh? Consume it, mm. yeah, and take it in. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. I've never actually thought about that we were actually subconsciously filtering things out from the global like influences. Yeah. Which are, uh, yeah, it's a first thought. Huh? I think like we're also quick to justify like what we think is like dumb. In that sense, like <laughs> mm, <laughs> what we think is like stupid in, in certain sense, uh, and I think as Malaysians we also get very frustrated that you know we feel that we're constantly misrepresented yeah. and and misunderstood. Mm, mm. We're always seen as the kind of poor cousin of Singapore, <laughs> mm, <laughs> and the, mm. I, I remember the whole like fried rendang debacle about it being crispy, yeah. that sort of thing. So there's a lot of um, uh, of that, but I also kind of wonder why we never kind of take make the effort to to besides being like keyboard warriors, why we don't bother to yeah to kind of stand strong and you know yeah make it into a major major thing lah. I think owning up is one of it. I think definitely one of it is owning up. To what makes Malaysia Malaysia, but, but of course, where I think yeah. we are heavily we are heavily influenced by what politicians say, and that has determined the overall grand narrative for Malaysia. But I think I think our generation or the current generation is is slowly trying to enforce their own version of identity that they want as a nation, as we should. But it's just that I think it took a slow time for us to realize that we had a say until a certain recent point where we actually did have a say. But I think it's the realization of having a voice that can change as opposed to uh, whereas before this, we, we knew we had this, but somehow we realized that we, we didn't have a say to make a change. I think knowing that you can make a change is actually the difference now. Yeah. I think people are pushing for it. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, when we go, go back to about global influence, I think that's something that we feel more empowered because we see yeah. other countries sort of like go through very similar things where people are speaking out mm. and, and expressing opinion and um, not necessarily... I think for a long time we felt that by doing that, there was a level of maybe... Um, punishment that came with that yes. whether, whether it was with other people whether it was a societal thing or yeah. maybe a personal yeah. thing there was always a sort of a retribution yeah to the aspect yeah of trying to voice out those type of issues right yeah yeah but of course that also comes with its own conflict i feel like yeah. like like that kind of 
um, feel feeling for self-expression is very much a, a Western sort of like mentality, mm. and I think that's always going to kind of uh, butt up against our general easygoing nature of being Malaysian. Mm. Like we kind of let things slide a lot, and and yeah. just you know, well, uh, being more kind of well, we take take orders very well. I feel yeah yeah, yeah. which is um, good and bad. <laughs> I, I, I discussed with someone the other day that I think we are we are there's there's a resurgence of realizing a post colonial identity. Right. I think we're we're slowly like our, our generation, our current generation, is trying to go we're 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 realizing the post colonial situation right yeah. now. No, I think that, and that's a very relevant to bring up in terms of the, the theme, which is identity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, there's always a, a search for something that, you know, that uh, you want to know what there was before a, this particular mm. existence. Mm. You know, were the people before, you know, this colonization, were they more, were we more proud? But then, you know, I True. think that's also... But I think that's also kind of digressing because we are what we are, who we are today because of all the things that happened. That happened. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, this one part of it is to accept that fact. Yeah. Yeah. The histories. The histories. Come. Yeah. I mean, all the good and the bad. Yeah. I mean, not to say that. Yeah, you're trying to be nostalgic, but where we just need to know to move forward. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that also is a big thing about being Malaysian. We also are in incredibly nostalgic people. Yeah. Yes. I think that that kind of holds us back a yeah. lot, and I and you know it's because also because our um, our history is not very very old. Yeah. The people who um, well, I, they are a sort of leaving generation, but there are traces of people who are very much alive during that mm. time where yeah. there was a big shift. Yeah. And I think there's a there's a certain kind of clinging and longing, but I do think that as you know the generations go by. Yeah that there will be a change, yeah. you know, because, um, but then, do you think, I mean, this is my question to you guys, do you think that uh, another kind of nostalgia will occur? Do you know, like, I, I, like, I feel like that's what, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not an expert in like American politics, but I sometimes follow it because it's the most sensational. <laughs> but I always feel like that's what the Republican Party stands for. They are the, like, the, the party of nostalgia. They, they fight for, you know, the, you know, all the amendments and they fight for like right. the original, like, you know, let's celebrate our forefathers who right. fought for us and, 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 you know, made this country great yeah. and made it what it is today. Yeah. So I'm wondering if, if that's actually what will come of it, that, you know, that's what the other is. You'll get, you know, you get the progressives yeah. and you'll get the people who... Nostalgic. Yeah. But in that sense, you know, if, if, uh, if I think those two things, if they are the, what becomes the, the, the other to, to fight about, it's not necessarily a bad thing mm. because you need that tension. You yeah. need the people who, who fight for what they think was, yeah. as, was, was great and has made some made yeah. this country great and the people who think that, no, we could do better. Striking a balance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's an interesting question to, to, to ask. Especially now in our current Malaysian setting, we are the dominant uh, generation, the millennials, right? Those in their 30s to... And 40s. in the position of power. Right? And in the... Or just, you know, the ability, the, knowing that you can make you a can change. Make a change like uh, yeah. Right? However small, but... And the fact that we don't just accept narrative as it was, the singular narrative. Mm. We are constantly finding, and I guess in some ways we are also drawing that line between being nostalgic and being progressive as well. I mean, in the search of identity, do you think that we'll ever become a very, uh, a very leftist society? Not to say that we're rightists right now, but, you know... Um, like how do how do we measure? Actually, I'm I'm actually really curious, as someone who almost feels like a kind of outsider to, you know, the the kind of the inner politics, not the politics we see on the news, but like just the, you know the day to day, how you see people, how you talk to people. 
you know, and their beliefs and, and, mm. and that and whatnot. Where, where do you think we stand? Interesting. I think, I think we'll never go truly leftist. Lah. But I think, I think there's, uh, there's values inculcated within us that has, that has, that's put, that has put some sort of a boundary lah, to the limits of where we can actually head towards. I, I don't know if it's Asian beliefs, like religion, or general things that we still hold on to, that we hold on valuable, family-oriented values. But I think there will be a, a level where we hit because that, there is a value inherent within us that we can also we can go only so far in terms of leftist or right lah, be in terms of the identity that we are searching for right now. I mean, we're seeing it in Malaysian politics. Ah, which, um, everyone wants to claim their part of history, their part of identity in aligning with their own agendas. So I think it's, it, it's a good topic to discuss about right now lah, because we need to decide for ourselves what that identity is for ourselves or else other people will make the choices for us. And we have to adopt or align with their goals and their belief of what an identity is. And we can choose wisely lah, in knowing so of whatever values that we have. Yeah. So I think that's why it's pertinent that like a research arm like R Plus dwells within that topic as well. Because it goes beyond it goes beyond like the the realm of just culture. Yeah. It goes holistic lah. It goes beyond the big environment. It goes towards the larger realm of how these things shape society. And I think that's a, that's a part of it. That's where R Plus is looking towards lah, at that angle in a much more holistic angle than what maybe the architectural practice can afford to see. And we're providing the eagle eye angle, the drone view, the God's eye to this situation. So and then you just provide like, an, like you can always zoom in but maybe it's harder to zoom out than it is to zoom in. Maybe that would be the situation. So there you have it. Episode 8 of identity. <laughs> so thank you, thank you for joining us for this episode. And I hope that uh, you guys provide some input. Just contact us in any way, Instagram or DM us, email us to, to our email, gdparchitects at gmail.com. Basically, we, we would like to know more about what you guys think of this topic. As it's not a closed-ended yeah. topic, so it's very much open-ended. And the more people we get on the conversation, the more things we can hopefully uh, enlighten ourselves or you guys with. And thank you for joining. <laughs>